0: Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the belated second instalment of our Gangs of London Spoilers special episodes. Sorry it's been a little delayed, but I hope you will find that this is worth the wait, because this one is dedicated to a conversation between myself and the great Gareth Evans, the show's co-creator and the writer and director of this episode. An episode that is one of the best pieces of television of the year, and for my money is one of the greatest pieces of sustained action filmmaking, and I don't use that word lightly, I know this is TV, but this is filmmaking, this side of, well, the raid movies. I'm talking of course about episode 5 of Gangs of London, an almost entirely standalone episode which sees Mark Lewis Jones Kinney mount a desperate attempt to save his son Darren from a pending assassination at the hands, or bullets, of a Danish hit squad. It's an episode that's equally tense, slow burn, and explosive all-out action onslaught, as the mercenaries corner Kinney and co. in a Welsh farmhouse, and all hell breaks loose. Listen, you don't need me to tell you what happens in the episode if you're listening to this. Hopefully it means you've seen the episode, and you want to know more about how Gareth Evans and co. made it. So I caught up with Gareth on Squadcast a few weeks ago, and we had a hell of a time digging into the episode. Now, needless to say, of course, once again, I have to say there are huge spoilers from the off. So if you somehow haven't seen episode five of Gangs of London, then stop listening now. But the rest of you, you can proceed. You're totally fine. So here it is, the interview with Gareth Evans. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined once again on this Gangs of London spoiler special by uh, Gareth Evans. And this time, Gareth, we've already talked about one to four, episode one to four. This time we're going to be talking about episode five, which is, I think, the standard episode of the show for a number of reasons. But this is an incredible piece of... Of tension, it's an incredible piece of action filmmaking. It's essentially the raid three. I'm going to call it <laughs> right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, let's do
1: that. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, is
0: there
1: is is there a name for this episode? Are the episodes named, or is it just F ep- five? No, we didn't. We didn't really give it a name in a way. Um, we never did that across all of the episodes. I think we just kind of like we found certain set pieces that kind of gave us. Interesting ways to reference the apps. So, like, app two, we started calling it like Narco Cow um, because <laughs> of the, the cow sequence. But app <laughs> five um, was always me being able to play with like a western in a way. So like yeah. for me, it was like a, the Rio Bravo, Assault and Precinct Thirteen episode that I got to kind of make then. So yeah,
0: but a really. Really fucking bleak <laughs> version of Rio Bravo yeah. and Assaulted <laughs> Precinct 13. It's like the Precinct 13 where everybody fucking dies. And we'll, we'll get to that in, in a second, but uh, there's a lot to talk about with this episode. And uh, one of the things that immediately springs to mind is the fact that it's, hey, it's not in London at all mm-hmm. at any point. Uh, and it's, it takes you away from the the main action of the show, the main story of the show, the stuff you've been building for the first four episodes. Um, can you talk about that that approach and that, that decision to do this an entirely uh, isolated episode
1: yeah I think um, I mean for me I was always keen to be able to bring something back to Wales for obvious selfish reasons and, and, and are you Welsh yeah it's, it's hard up. to tell you know, no one can pick it up you know, my name is pretty <laughs> vague when it comes to that um, but uh, yeah we we kind of I was always keen to kind of bring something back to Wales I had such a great experience on Apostle as well and I had such a hmm. like, fun time working with the crew and everyone else and so I kind of really wanted to be able to bring something back from the show um um, and also, I mean, uh, you know, I have a, I have an unhealthy obsession with working with Mark Lewis Jones because he's such a powerhouse in terms of a performer, which also stemmed from Apostle and then further into this. Yeah. And so we knew we wanted to do like that—that that sort of traditional, the one standalone episode, which can kind of have the flexibility to sit outside of the the sort of the A story, so to speak. Um, but we didn't want it to be the standalone episode that gets made to, you know. Pinch pennies on the budget, which tends to be also the case when you get to your traditional season, and um, I think for this episode we definitely did not do that, um, and, and so yeah, it was it was a challenge in a way, and I think you know there it, it was always there was always one thing in the back of our mind where we were thinking this has to somehow then tie back into the the you know the London of the story if that makes sense, and and the bigger picture, and the the back into the A story, so we knew we had to feed back into that. And so when we were designing the first four episodes, I kind of had this, this moment where I, I realized what could be quite fun would be to play with the timelines as well. Because mm-hmm. I think episode five, when you look at the timeline of it, actually picks up from the tail end of episode two. Yes. Um, and so everything that happens in three and four has not happened yet. And yeah. so you know it was a fun in a way to kind of play around with audiences expectations of where we are in in the timeline of the actual show itself. But then also within the episode, play a double bluff on the timeline of 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 you know where the characters are, where they might be geographically speaking and 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 realize that there are timelines within the episode that converge at certain points as well so that's that's very interesting in terms
0: of what happens at the end of the episode obviously and also we, we get to meet uh, the the danish hit squad yeah. uh for real in in this episode we we've we've seen little hints of of life uh, especially and obviously at the end of ep4 that chaos of ep4 you know mm. that's that's him as well but um so we see Tova at the end of episode 4 and then we see her alive obviously in this and were you worried that that would obviously tip your hand to the audience that that she survives that life survives, so therefore
1: this episode may not end well for our heroes, so to speak. (laughs) Um no, I think I think we didn't really worry too much about that. I think, you know, there was I, I think if anything, it was sort of the opposite where I know some of the concerns when we first um you know uh, presented the episode to the to the networks was that was like our audience is going to be confused by the by the timeline mm-hmm. but uh, i felt like the timeline shift kind of became clearer as people continued to watch that episode and and i think in a way you know it benefited at4 as well because it was something f- we needed to maintain a sense of mystery about the Place of prominence in F four, mm-hmm. so when when the, when the attack happens on Sean, you don't want to kind of telegraph that so much. And so when 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 we show those characters in F five, we get to know them so well. We know exactly who they are. We get to know exactly what they're up to. We know mm. what their skill set is. Mm. And so if we put F five before F four, as soon as you see Leif in F four, you know what he's going to go and do. So it, it, in a way, by having those um, episodes you know uh, the other way around it allowed us to maintain the mystery in four and then get to know one deeper in f5 then Mm. um and and it was kind of fun in a way because when people go back and revisit the show when they say when they see tova struggling to make that decision and she's kind of like leaning up against the wall about to go and do the kill on sean in f4 you realize after watching f5 she's someone who's just you know lost her husband yeah, you know, in, in in pretty spectacular fashion, she's yeah. lost her husband, yes. um, and so she's carrying that. She's carrying that grief and that inner turmoil, and so she's not functioning the way that she might had she just been on a mission. Like she would have, like maybe two or three weeks prior. Yeah, um, and so there's some of that hesitance then. That idea of her steadying herself against the wall. It it, it came from F five from the events of grief and tragedy that she's she's it's experienced in F five then.
0: And also, she has a moment of hesitation where she has Sean in her sights and doesn't doesn't pull the trigger. Yeah, exactly. Which is you know exactly. just a, that that that's you know those split seconds. Uh, that's that's really interesting. And, and in terms of in terms of breaking down the app, you know and, and the the basic elements of it. You know, so farmhouse. Siege situation first half being this incredible building of tension and again there's sort of some manipulation of the timelines there as you know you have that reveal that Kinney is in the pub already yeah. when we've just seen him on starting on his on his journey so he beats the mercenaries there um, yeah you know that bit with um, the, the the toilet door is excruciatingly tense uh, <laughs> and then of course you you know you unleash. Mayhem in the last half hour was was that always the plan? Could you talk us through how how you broke down the app with Matt? Yeah,
1: I think I think like you know, whereas when in episode one we you know had the benefit of having so like two set pieces to kind of play with, we knew that for ep five that there was going to be one pretty heavy duty sustained set piece that was going to unfold as soon as that first gunshot gets fired, and that it was not going to kind of relent, that it was going to keep going for for uh, you know a, a fairly lengthy amount of time. And so in order to get there, I knew that the opening half had to feel a little bit of a slow burn, but with a sort of simmering tension underneath it, and that that tension needed to keep building and building and building and ratcheting up as, as the episode went on. And so, you know, we kind of like jokingly, you in know, in our, in our sort of like script writing meetings and, and when I went off to go and write the episode, referred to Kenny's journey almost as a sort of like a mini revenant. Um, so, you know, <laughs> so not you know, it's not quite the sort of snow-capped hills and stuff like that that, that uh, Leonardo goes through, but, you know. <laughs> But did Leonardo pull a worm out of his tummy? Maybe not. No. <laughs> so, no. So we, we kind of, we kind of decided to give Kinney his own sort of like rites of passage, his own sort of journey that would be, you know, arduous and difficult for him, that he would have to be resourceful, that he would have to try to kind of get to his son in, you know, undercover without nobody knowing where he was. Um, and so there's a lot of backwards trails and then into that, that farm as well, where he steals the Land Rover. And so, we, we we were able to kind of take Kinney on this this weird little sort of journey that would then ratchet up the, the 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 tension levels within his you know bid to survive long enough to get to his son and ultimately it was all about a father trying to get to his son and protect his boy um, mm. and and I think that was part of the fun of it was this idea of. Like we knew our A story had this this journey, this arc in terms of, you know, playing with audiences' expectations and playing with audiences' perceptions of characters. So in episode one, we were introducing you to Sean with something pretty barbaric and then working our way through the whole show to make you have a little bit more understanding of the psychological complexity of who Sean is to a mm. point where, you know, you might not always agree with the things he does. And quite often you'll find him morally repugnant in some of the things he does. But at the same time, you understand him as a character, you understand his, you know, psychological breakup, uh, breakdown, um, to a point where you might be able to elicit some kind of empathy for him. You might be able to feel sympathetic towards Sean at times and understand his grief and understand his process. Mm. Mm. And the fun of five was doing the same thing for Kinney, who we have seen as an absolute monster in episode one. Mm-hmm. Um, and you start to see. Elements of uh, a, a certain nobility in him, in two, where he's where he you know asks Sean for you know to to spare his son's life. Mm. There's a real love there for his kid, and you know, and then you see him have all of his uh, world taken away from him at the end of episode two, with the campsite being decimated, and he has to watch as all the people that he cares about fall to the ground. You know, and then he watches it all burn up and things like that. And then when he get to Ep 5, then it was almost like, well, let's take this character now on a whole journey where we see him suffer, we see him go through it, and it's like a redemptive process in the end that we, we get to that sort of the climax of it and we feel heartbreak. And if we can get that kind of emotional journey from a character that you've only seen a little bit in Ep 1, a little bit in Ep 2, and now devote time to him in Ep 5... Then you know that's the power of having someone like Mark Lewis Jones. Then across across that character is that he can bring those feelings of of real like human emotion and and, and empathy to 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 a piece as visceral as this. Then absolutely. I mean, he's tremendous in the ep, in the
0: app, and uh, there's. Uh, there's a sense throughout the episode that that Kinney is is doomed that you know that you know whatever happens even if he were somehow to walk away from what unfolds in the farmhouse that you know he's gonna, he's gonna have an infection or something you yeah. know he's he's going down um and so you, you give him you do give him this this wonderful ending with with Darren but it also ends the episode ends with with Darren dying as well yeah. and you have that you have that promise of escape being snatched away from them at the at the mm. very last minute, and of course everybody dies in the episode apart from Life and Tova. Um, can you talk about that decision uh, and putting the audience through the ringer in that way?
1: Yeah, I mean it was it was it was fairly. I think it was fairly contentious early on. I was always of the mindset from the moment I started writing. it. I was like, "Dan's going to die," and, and and everyone was kind of like, you know, no, no, you can't kill him off. You can't do that. It's going to be such." A, I was like, "No, no, he has to. It can't be. A, it can't be a loose thread." Because my my thing was. We've just showed Leif and Tova not succeeding in a mission previously. If they don't succeed again and this kid who got hired to kill Finn Wallace escapes on a boat and they, can't, they don't have the firepower to stop that boat from, you know, from that range, mm. they look terrible. They look, they look like they don't know how to do their job. And then they, they'll end up in a situation where it's like, okay, well, their threat level drops down massively. Mm. But if, they, if, if Leif kills Darren in cold blood, there and then you're announced a new challenger, you've announced a new, new presence within the show then, mm. um, and somebody who's potentially formidable and somebody who's potentially got, uh, you know, a weight of power behind them. And so it, it felt like, you know, they can't, they can't not succeed in their, in their goal. And, mm. you know, as much as, and to be honest, it's like, I like the fact that the audience will want that kid to escape, because then I've done my job properly. You know, what I mean, if people didn't give a crap, yes. if he lived or died, then, <laughs> you know, then, then we failed. And, you know, I think, and then, and just just to kind of like give a shout out, because that's a huge testament to um, Aled Stefan, the actor who plays Darren, that he manages to elicit so much sympathy and so much empathy when you watch, when you watch him in that role, like you, know, even from the get go in episode one. You know, we, we love those two guys like da, uh, You know, Darren and Yohan played <laughs> very confusingly by Alan and then Darren who plays Yohan. <laughs> so when we'd be on set, <laughs> I'd be like, so Darren, and then they, they both turn. <laughs> you know, like, no, 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 story Darren. <laughs> not after Darren um, but they were they were great and they listed they gave us so much heart and, and emotion in their performance you know what I mean and, and they were always willing to take it up to the to level we needed to in order to kind of like you know to hit those emotional beats and I, yeah. like, I, I as much as I absolutely absolutely adore like the final scene on the jetty Mm. I think for me the two scenes I'm most proud of in that episode you know um on, on an emotional dramatic level is the the very opening scene when Darren and Joan find the gun mm. uh, the little flashback moment because there's like a there's a warmth to it and a sort of like a, a and a sadness to the fact like when we hard cut on the the pop into the gun barrel to present day and we realize that two of those bullets have been shot already and now we're mm. with Darren reflecting on the past and reflecting on that one decision that's kind of like ruined what they had, you know, because we hint at the idea that they might be a couple and that they might have wanted to kind of go off and live together. When you realize that's all gone, there's a sadness, there's a tragedy there. And, 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 and to be honest, the boys performance was so great. Both of them were so great in that scene. And and, and so I I really loved that scene. The second scene was the, the confrontation between Darren and Kinney when they're in the little bunker underneath the house and he pulls Mm -hmm. the, the gun on his father. And it was just like, for me, like it was, again, it was that thing of, you know, uh, you know, as visceral as the action might be across that episode, it was really, really important to us, you know, on this episode that we landed the severity of the consequences that we landed this feeling of like, are there emotional repercussions to this action that it's not just purely, you know, yes, there's lots of fun, you know, popping viscera and things for you to kind of enjoy on an adrenaline level. But there's an undercurrent of emotion that plays underneath it all which makes it feel like it's got more importance and more weight
0: that absolutely uh, uh feeds into it as well if, if if darren you know if they were in a relationship and he's been taken away from him then suddenly that lends it an extra undercurrent you know he's already angry with his dad but yeah. that lends it an extra little bit of impact as well which i think is really yeah. really interesting
1: that fed into that thing of it being like, you know, the idea that he's been looking at that gun for the last week and there's been like a one bullet in there and then, and he's been fixating on the idea of using it on his own father. You know, <laughs> those are huge things for him to be dealing with and wrestle with. And, um and so when he is actually in a situation where he pulls it on him at the end, and it's, it's, It's it's the it's it's the emotional impact of that which was so so strong then and with you know Kinney you know and you know when you when you ask Mark Lewis Jones can you just walk straight up and let him push the gun into his head like you know what you're gonna get like Mark's (laughs) just gonna deliver you know what I mean but um but it was great to see these two actors play different levels of 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 emotion with each Mm. other um you know Mm. Mark's thing was I need to get this kid on that boat. And I'm not going to fuck around, uh, mm. and 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 you know I'm going to confront him 100. percent Whereas Darren and you know, obviously Alid <laughs> is uh, <laughs> is collapsing inside and is, is is struggling to to maintain you know his resolve. Um. So yeah, it was a it was it was an intense little shoot that. I,
0: I can imagine it was. I mean, you you, you know, And but just to go back to the scene in the jetty because I, I think it's 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 lovely. Um. In a weird way because obviously. Everyone dies in a bloody fashion, but <laughs> the 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 moment when you know because Kenny says to Darren in the the, the tunnel, he says something like, "It'll take more than that to put me down, boy." Uh, and you, mm. and you believe him as well. That's the thing about yeah. him you you believe him because you've seen what he's gone through pulling worms out of his belly, you know, all sorts of stuff. And you think this guy could probably take a headshot and still <laughs>
1: still survive,
0: <laughs> and still and so in a weird way, even though you know that. Escape for them is pretty much a pipe dream. Once you see how efficient the hit squad is and how mm. much equipment they have and how good they are, you know, pretty much, you know, in your heart of hearts, you know, pretty much that, you know, that Darren and Kenny are not walking away from this, even on the jetty. Even when Kenny's being shot from behind, you think there's still a chance he might be able to push Darren onto that boat and get him away. There's still a chance. And it all, in a way, stems from not only the episode, the behavior we've seen in the episode, but also that line, you know, it'll take more than that to put me down, boy, which uh, I think is really interesting.
1: And I think I think that kind of obviously you know, obviously like if we're talking like real life, then no one really gets shot in the back that many times and still like pushes yes. him forward. You know what I mean? for obvious reasons. Like but, Mal um, would Mal would also probably have dropped a dead <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> but it was that it was that thing of like you start you can start pushing and, and pulling at the logic in the respect of that and, and you know, and why not? I mean, you know, we we're dealing with a, a bunch of Danish mercenaries fighting a bunch of Welsh um you know Bullet farm manufacturers, you know. Um, so, so like, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not, it's it's, it's not never going to veer to the side of realism in that respect. This is not Mike I'll, Lee. I'll,
0: yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Um, but you know, it's like me and me and Jude when we were designing the sequence, we would often cite um, you know the films like um, the, the, the the heroic bloodshed films from Hong mm. Kong. Mm. Um, as I was sort of like as our reference point and, you know, your, your, your sort of your, your heroic characters die in a hail of bullets, but they, they don't get killed straight away. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, there's a, there's a great scene. There's a film called, um, uh, I'm going to make sure I got the right title here. It's called tragic hero. It's an old film from, I think it was like the early 80s, mid mid to late 80s. This okay. giant fat sort of gangster film. There was like a two-part one was called Rich and Famous, and then the other one was called Um Tragic Hero. They're kind of like loosely similar, they have similar kind of flavor to like you know the sure. like the Godfather and stuff of like that in terms of like their the the the, the 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 overall plot points of it. But um yeah, the the second movie Tragic Hero, there's, there's this incredible sequence where uh a great character actor who sadly is no longer with us, Shing Fuyang, uh is is riding um uh the window cleaner you know like the big high-rise window cleaner trolleys. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and as he's coming and he's coming down like you see him like you know, washing the window of of one of those sort of like the rival bosses and as he's washing the window like he's reaching in and the the rival boss is like you know you know seemingly oblivious to him outside the window as he's cleaning it what he's put like doing like a a golf putting thing in his office yeah and then this guy who's like cleaning the windows starts reaching into a bucket to pull out a, a, a gun. And that's where he's going to shoot him through the window. And as he gets pulled, as he's slowly bringing the gun out, and this is all about the tension building and stuff like that, um, in come the, the rival guys, other sort of henchmen who are all come in, but like, you know, bearing gifts as if he's been given an, a gift from some rival, some other guy or something or other, like yeah. flowers and chocolates and all this stuff, you know, as, as mob bosses tend to do, they tend to receive <laughs> chocolates and flowers a lot, right? i so anyway, excited. So he, he kind of like hides his gun again. He's like biding his time, and then literally, all of a sudden, those henchmen toss aside the flowers, and there's like guns inside. And then he realizes he's completely fucked, and he's like stood there on this window, like holding his gun. Uh, you know, on this contraption, is not going to get him out of the way in time, and he just gets blitz they shoot through the window they riddle him with bullets and he's just like shot like maybe like 15 20 times and he's just there and he's like holding and the gun is still in his hand and he's bleeding out he's bleeding everywhere and they think like oh he's dead but then it's like the last minute gasp is that he just throws himself through that broken window and then is about to pull pull the gun out on the 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 boss but gets like Really graphically headshot <laughs> before you he can pull the trigger. Yeah. But so, but you know, and the reason why I'm bringing that up and spoiling that really cool scene from that movie is, is that <laughs> there was a reference point for us. It was that thing of it being like when Mal gets shot through that window and he, he drops back out of frame, he's got energy for one more thing. And, he, and that one more thing is to pop that grenade and then hurl a bag out the window and then he's dead. But mm. it's it's it all stems from that heroic bloodshed genre. It all stems from that love of the Hong Kong cinema in a way. And so going back to the, the Kinney side of things, you know he's driven by something. Mal was driven by something. And so yes, in reality and the way it would play in real life, they'd they'd be dead the moment the four of those bullets had gone through their body. Never mind the mm. other fifteen that followed. But. Mm it doesn't matter because you want them to keep going you want that energy level to keep go, going up and up and up because then if matt dies in the window we just we don't have an explosion if kenny dies when he gets shot in the back like you know straight away oh that's how the episode ends you know what i mean it's like you want those those hmm. extra last morsels of energy those last bits of life to 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 have Great impact, whether for Mal, it's the big heroic bloodshed death, or for Kinney, it's the real emotional weight of him, you know, lying there on the floor after after his hand explodes, which is covering his son's heart, mm. you know, after, after all of that, and 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 seeing him on the floor, barely any energy left, just sort of like you know the last muscle memory of his body, sort of like drawing to a close. And all he does is ask Leif that question of like, why him? Why'd you pick him? Um, And then to not be given the answer and for the last thing he sees is to see his son get shot was like Mm -hmm. the most painful thing that we could think of happening on an emotional level for that character at that time. Um, And and actually, weirdly, we'd written a a line of dialogue that Leif was going to say back to him Um, uh, and it was going to be something along the lines of because no one would care um uh, you know about 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 darren and and but then when i was discussing with uh mez who i've had the, the great fortune of working with before in the past i mean mm. mez i've known prior to maranto even i know he played the bad guy maranto but he was also mm. in footsteps the first low budget independent film so i've known Mez for many many years and um you know when we were discussing that scene obviously we were like you know it, it it's, it's a weird thing to kind of discuss about like, oh, yeah, you know, you're on set and then you start discussing about, oh, should we keep this or should we drop that? And all our flexibility is lovely. But when you're shooting like an action sequence out on a jetty and you're at the mercy of whatever daylight hours you've got and when the sun is going down, that's it, you're done. It's like all of those conversations become like really heightened and quick. It's like I, I always see like behind the scenes footage of other directors that I really admire where they might be having a, a nice contemplative chat with an actor on set about the the next take of the thing and i'm i'm always like jealous of that that sense of oh i have the time to discuss and contemplate and da, da, da. when me and baz <laughs> were discussing it, it was kind of like he was i like guess uh, gareth what do you think if i uh if if i if i don't say the line and then I just I took one look at him and i was like yeah that's fucking great let's do it <laughs> when you're doing a sequence like that and it's action based first and foremost for like for those things you're you're having to just like boom boom, click through all of those decision-making processes and 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 trust your gut instinct on stuff and so with 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 mez then when he when he suggested that i was like within a heartbeat i was like that's a fucking great idea and that would play way colder than if he actually said the line because the line as cold as it is is so much better if he's just like this guy hardly says a word in the entire episode i think almost I think like uh, okay, with the exception of some of the stuff earlier on in the campsite where it's about the phone and mm. the information about find the kid he doesn't really have a line of dialogue other than flank <laughs> open the door yeah. and that's pretty much it then or like where are they you know it's 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 very bump to the point so for 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 when i was talking to Mez when he decided that thing of like I think I should drop the line because it was it was he he kind of said it in a way he was like this I don't think I give a shit about this character. I don't care that he's asking me a question. I'm just there to to put a bullet in this other body that's in right by my feet right now. And then I'm going to put a bullet in that guy as well. Mm. And so when he kind of broke it down in that way, it just made total sense because he wouldn't emotionally engage with anyone. What, what, with anyone else? Why would he, he has no reason to, but what, why give that guy the satisfaction? Yeah. And then it was just like, it was like a little revelation moment when we were on set then.
0: That's interesting. That's really interesting. So um, so obviously you and Meds go back a, a long, long way. Is that why it was a Danish hit squad? Because we we have a question from a listener, uh, uh, at Kobe Starr on Twitter, who says, now he's basically afraid of Danes. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that, as he should you know, be. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> as he should be,
0: yeah, precisely.
1: Um, no, I think, it, I mean, yeah, yeah, it probably, it probably stemmed from that because I knew I wanted, myself and Matt, we were both kind of like, oh, Mez would be great for life we just knew it immediately we were like oh you'd be really interested in that role um and so then that that obviously lent itself to be well if we're going to have them be foreign and we're going to have them be danish then that helps cuz Mez is danish so so it did kind of like stem from there um and and so so that was that was where that came from then um so yeah totally 100% uh, so a couple of quick things about specifics in the episode. I mean, you,
0: you do some uh, gnarly stuff with, with the timeline, as, as we discussed uh, briefly. Uh, but you for example, you have uh, Kinney. So you have that, that sort of tricksy thing where Kinney's already in the pub when the hit squad shows up. But at the same time, when Mal gets there, the hit squad is already there as well, and you give it away with the, you know, there's the little nod with the beagle. So you think, oh, hang on, these guys may not be on the on the uh, up and up. Uh, can you talk about
1: that? About that sort of that, that timeline. So we we um we I knew I wanted little signifiers. We wanted to put little hints out there that there's something unusual going on. So when when we first go into that pub and we see the basset hound. Uh, and we were like, oh, that's the same dog from earlier when they were scouting the campsite. You're like, okay, something's up here. There's a little, there's a connection here yeah. between this guy at this bar and the people who were at the campsite. So we already kind of know something's a little bit skewiff with, with the timeline maybe and stuff like that we don't really say it explicitly, but we get a feeling of it. And then, um, and obviously with was, um, you know, Richard Harrington who plays Mal and then uh, Will Thomas who plays Frank, the, the bar star, the bar, the, the, the landlord, sorry. Um, when they go off and have a chat in the back room um, and then Mal mm-hmm. fixates on a, a, on a medical box that's been ripped open with little bits of blood stains on the, on the cracked open the box. What we don't know at this point is that it's because Kinney's reached in there and grabbed whatever he could and snuck into the bathroom with no one knowing that he's there at the pub. So Kinney's there throughout that whole sequence. We just never really know it, and so we started so like Frank does Frank know or does no? Frank-, Frank has no no idea at this point either. Okay, and so the idea is that, like you know when when has gone in there, and then um you know Leif uh, not Leif sorry um Ulrich uh, uh you know the the other mercenary in the red jacket. I mean he's when he stood there then and um is trying to sort of eavesdrop on what Mal and Frank might be talking about. Um, and then Frank catches him, and then they, you know, says like, you know, what, what you know, what are you looking for in uh, the toilet? We use that line, and again later on with Kinney when he's mm-hmm. wounded and he's fixing himself up to be like a, a thing where you know, f- hopefully for the eagle-eyed and, and keen eared audience, that they'd be able to be like, oh, okay, this is the moment when they properly converge. And yeah. This moment we solidify. Yeah, okay, that thing you saw earlier, all those little visual mm-hmm. hints. Are because of this because Kimmy's in the toilet at that exact precise time, but there's mm-hmm. little lots of little seeds in there as well. Like I mean, and, and look, we we for one bit we completely pilfered. Um, so I, I I loved I love Dunkirk. I thought it was an astonishing film. I thought like you know what well, Nolan did Dunkirk was incredible, and so you know I loved the fact that when I watched that film. The the because that film is all composed of alternating timelines as well. You know what I mean, and and the fact that it, it's there's it, it, it like the sequences where you see you see the blue boat turned upside down in the in the water and everything else. You see, yeah, yeah, and then you're like, oh yeah. shit, that's the fe- fate of those characters who are now in my other pre- in my other timeline, just getting in that boat. So it's like it's like it's seeing those little visual cues. So we played with the idea of when uh, like went Tova and Leif are in their car driving towards the pub. You know, he fixates on a Land Rover that's dumped on the side of the road. And we haven't seen Kinney steal that Land Rover yet, but that's the Land Rover mm-hmm. that Kinney stole. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like we had fun really playing with that. And obviously we're, you know, liberally stealing that 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 construct with the blue boat for the white <laughs> Land Rover. But, um, you know, I'll hold oh, my hands up to that. It's fine. But um, <laughs> it allowed us to play really interestingly within the structure of that episode then. Um, and so when you do finally get that sequence, and obviously with Kinney and um and Ulrich either side of the door, um, mm. sort of both knowing that they're either side there, that they're that they are foes, because they haven't seen each other. They don't really, really know who's on the other side of the door. But you just get that you 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 buy that tension. So when the both guns are kind of like meeting in the middle in the doorway. You're just like you. all you keep thinking is like, oh, my God, is someone going to pull the trigger, um, you know, and, and for it to be interrupted then by, you know, Mal and Frank again, it, it just kind of like, whoa, breaks the tension. <laughs> it, it's true. And, uh, you know, I, I was lucky enough. You showed me a little bit of this whenever I,
0: I visited you in Cardiff uh, a couple of months ago. And so I knew the Kinney made it from the toilet to the farmhouse. But yeah. during that sequence, I was like, is is this how it all kicks off? Because he just blows the guy away on the other, on the other side of the toilet. I thought that was unbearably tense at that, <laughs> that moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> there were probably a few moments when, probably in the writing, that I was probably considering, oh, is this when it kicks off? But then... Um, and then I had that idea that I was thinking, ah, oh, well, what if we, cause I, I love, I love the one thing I love about with action cinema, uh, and I, I know I've probably told you this like a thousand times and stuff like that, but it's like <laughs> when you look at like what Peck and Pa did and what John Woo does, um, it's the idea of building geography and building understanding of scale and space and positioning of people. And that's super important yeah. when, when you go into an action sequence. So when, you know, with the wild bunch, when, when they come out and it's the whole, why not moment and they load their guns and mm. then they walk to that village. You go on that journey with them. You walk with mm. them to that place. You see that whole landscape from multiple different positions and wides and you have a, re- a relationship between where they are positioned and where the, the Gatling gun is positioned, where the tables are on the courtyard and where the the, the the bell towers are. You know where all of that space is so that when he gets into the, the nook and cranny of the, the action sequence, you're never lost. You're always aware of your surroundings. And so Mm -hmm. when we were designing that sequence and having done sort of like, because I did a lot of like location scouting while I was writing that episode uh, because Ep5 was kind of one of those episodes where because it was a standalone, because I was taking it to Wales, I think I kind of got left alone to my devices. So I didn't really get many (laughs) notes. It was one of those (laughs) rare occasions where I was like, go ahead and do your thing in a way. So so, um, Mm -hmm. when we were looking at the locations, uh, uh, I, I found this really cool place where we could do the pub And then realized there were little areas nearby where we could do climb downs and things like that. And so I started becoming obsessed with this idea of this one drone shot that would take Hmm. you from the grounds of the pub over a cliff face past some tree lines into the, the front of the house. Now, obviously, in reality, those locations were nowhere near each other. They were all miles and miles and miles apart. And so I was like, oh, but we could stitch three shots together. So we put three different drone shots in order to then tell you, this is where the mercenaries are. Now we're going to crane down, go over some grass. Now we'll find a way using the guys at dupe VFX helped enormously to make the scene work, but we would transition then from a one drone shot to the second drone shot, which was Kenny climbing down uh, a hill that got turned into a cliff face. That would then merge into a third drone shot that was where our house was built somewhere else, which would take us then to introduce Mal walking along the path as the truck arrives, the van arrives, and takes us all the way to the front door of the house. So now we know in a sort of tension building moment where all of our players are, where they are in relationship to the house, so that when we get to the house and we have our drama sequence with Evie, the kids, and then Darren and Mal. When Darren looks out the window and then is like shocked, you know, and it makes sense that, oh, Kinney's made it down that hill now. And that yeah. if Kinney's made it down that hill injured, we know the mercenaries are definitely going to be following pretty closely behind. And so it allowed mm-hmm. me to give you, as an audience member, this complete like map of the area so you would understand exactly where everyone would be and where they're coming from it's a great shot
0: and uh it's interesting
1: it's 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 a a composite job that's very interesting Trixie, Trixie annoyingly on the trivia side of things The third (laughs) part of that shot, when the truck comes in and was driving to the house, we had no Uh choice but to shoot while it was pissing it down with rain. And so if you look really closely, you can see like everywhere else is like bone dry, arid landscape for for the rest of that episode. But on that one particular shot, if you look closer, you can see the tires of the truck churning up puddles of mud alongside it so um we were, we were you know obviously when you're when you're filming this like we can't do it now it's too important we're not going to rest this shot up but then you look at your, your watch and you're like we have to shoot it now we're not going to get it done at all otherwise so yeah little <laughs> concessions get made but yeah
0: Bloody hell! That's amazing. Also, I should—I feel I should apologize to uh, dog lovers everywhere because I—I said beagle and it's a basset hound, and
1: I'm—I—I I, I I said beagle so many times myself, and I got corrected on set. So I was like, yeah, it's a basset hound, it's a basset hound, it's a basset hound.
0: i can—I I, I can see it now. I have the episode here on my iPad uh, playing out as we're talking, and I can—I can see it. I can see it. It—it—it <laughs> it, 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 hews closer to the ground than a, than a beagle
1: does. I—I—I I, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking if I'm honest. With you. <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> and, and, and which, by the way, another little point of trivia for you was a, a nod to. Um, um, Ghost in the Shell, because there's the, oh, really? the yeah, there's the Basset Hound pet, the the the, the car in, in that in that movie, and so when, when we were picking dogs, I was like, it has to be a Basset Hound, <laughs> and of course, Colum- Columbo has a Basset Hound, so it's a of, it's a big thing of, for me as well. Of course, that, that's exa- that's that's why <laughs> I picked it, Chris, you know. <laughs> Love me some Colombo. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: So then, so then, let's just talk about, uh, as quick as you can, I, I guess, because I've got to let you go. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the mayhem that unfolds mm. at the farmhouse. So the, but once the, the 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 mercenaries arrive, uh, it's just absolute carnage from that moment on. And uh, you know, very very quickly, a whole bunch of people got killed, very 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 yeah. bloodily.
1: Yeah, and and I think like again, go back to that thing of wanting to make it have like an emotional impact. We you know, we knew we would take it out. Evie's kids and we haven't really Had a lot of time to sort of Establish them within the episode you know what I mean They they arrive Mm. pretty late on And then as soon as they arrive almost one scene later So do the cavalry Um, But we get an emotional response because we've got to know evie at this point and caroline was incredible in that role like we, we loved her to bits like she was so game for everything she'd never i don't think she'd ever done action before and so it was a it was a whole new experience for her to kind of learn and, and i think also like for richard harrington as well who plays mal who uh, you're a massive massive fan of now as well both both of mm. them were so game throughout the process of it because it's a different thing it's like you know when you shoot the drama you 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 run long takes. You you go through the whole scene. You let the old, the characters or the actors um, find all those individual beats of emotion and pace and energy. You know on a take by take basis. When it comes to action, because you know as we've discussed before, I don't I don't shoot coverage for it at all. It's it's it, they're individual jigsaw pieces. You know they you know yeah. when we shot we shot a previous for this the same way we would do for uh, you know a martial arts sequence. Um, and then to be honest, it's more important when you do this because. You really need to be able to plan ahead, and so like with Alex Gunnow as SFX guy, I needed to tell him, "Oh, I need like 15 squibs in that window frame. I need 10 in this floor. We need a couple over the fireplace. We need these. You know, there's so many squibs. You, you, you know, they had to be pre-rigged and pre-built into that house. Which also Tom Pierce, my production designer for this episode, had to build from scratch. So it, it's like it's a massive undertaking because. You know, um, it starts off with me, Jude, and the boys, you know, all inside a room with cardboard boxes where we'd map out, oh, this gives us a good space if the staircase is here. And we'd kind of figure out the positioning of things. We'd do like a little floor plan of where everything needs to be. Oh, here's the fireplace, here's the coffee table, here's the couch. Um, with the trapdoor with the guns in it, as you would. Um, And here's the (laughs) the staircase that takes you up the floor. Um, All of those things mapped out, even like the sub rooms, the the little dining area that leads to the kitchen and the fact that the kitchen connects up to the lounge, with the back door, all of that stuff we'd already mapped out and and did a floor plan for for Mm. because it was so specific to the action. You know, normally when it's just a scene of drama or something or other, then we're a little bit more given and flexible. Yes. When it comes to this, we have to be super, super specific. So we have to say, yeah. oh, that trap door has to be exactly here underneath this rug by this coffee table. Um And so then the construction of that house follows the previous. But then the construction of the house also has to then have traps in there and little things here and there so that um, the SFX department can go in and wire it all up ready for all the big bangs to go off. So that we're we're totally ready because, you know, we we might have to do three or four little setups like that every day. Um, and so they all have to be pre-rigged, pre-wired holes in the floors. We have to have, you know, a, a, a hanging bar structure inside the fireplace for our guy to be able to let go of and drop down into the fireplace at exactly the right moment after he gets shot in the chimney stack. You know, there's, there's all these things that go into it where you know, when you, if you pulled it apart, you just see this framework of all these little sort of like punchlines and gags that are going on in there. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was, it was, a it was an intense old shoot, really like heavy going, you know, on a day by day basis. Um, and once we kind of, and, and going back to that emotional thing with the kids again, the beauty of having someone like Caroline was that she was so good at emoting throughout the sequence, you know, and, you know, and mm. having to learn relearn in a way, went to best land moments because i, I was given her oh it's a five second shot it's a ten second shot it's a four second shot you know you, you're kind of like your, your your performance has to fit the the level of intensity within a very short space of time so she doesn't have a chance to build it up sometimes it just has to be it can't it has to be there from the get-go you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so yeah, yeah. so so it's a new way of approaching performance then within action um and you know, richard harrington for instance was like fascinated with the process. Um, And I think he had a great time. He had so much fun doing it. You know, he got to have a lot of heroic moments, which is really cool for him, you know? yeah. Um, yeah. And so every time, and because, because I was editing on set again, as I tend to do, um, cutting this footage into the previous, as we were shooting it, um, every time I call cut on anything that we were doing, uh, as I was waiting for the file to drop, I could just feel Richard, just, just there over my shoulder, watching the monitor. Like I like is it good? Is it good? Are we good? Are we good? Uh, how, how's it look? Can I watch it? And um, that enthusiasm was infectious because it was like, I wanted it to be better for him too, in the same way that he wanted it to be better for me. And so we were all kind of like feeding off each other and this energy just, just kept going. And I think we all felt like we were doing something special with the episode. We sort of knew it when we were designing it that if we delivered on this sequence, that it would be something that had not been seen before on British television. You know what I mean? And so for for us, we were like, oh, this could be special. This could be special. But then seeing the previs convert into the production shots, we were just like, Oh, I think this is I think this is really good. This might be some of the best stuff we've ever done. <laughs> and you know, and it's like we had we had shot designs in the previs that, you know, they look silly when you show them in a previs format. So when our guy uh in the fireplace has a poker stuff through him, it's like it's a blue polystyrene noodle you know <laughs> da, 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 da. and then um when uh chris Chris Webb our was stump former was was you know playing Kinney in that sequence then so like he you know, throws a plastic bottle at him and then he'll a, uh, a lighter into the fireplace you know. And Andy, uh, Andy Taylor who was our stand performer playing the guy in the fireplace at that time for that for that for the previs, um, starts unraveling this this these handfuls of of bubble wrap and 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 an orange Sainsbury's <laughs> bag to simulate fire that's been burning, and it's like it's like the it's the it's the Michel Gondry Swede version of a of, of a, of a, of a and I just kind of like they, they, those little gags, those little things, like I always found them so funny because. Like Andy would be like, you know, you'd have this mischievous look and you'd be like, okay, there's something that's going to surprise me. You know what I mean? And so then as soon as he did that, boom, and then up comes this carrier bag and bubble wrap, it just looked great. It looked so silly, but you, you, when you actually do it then for real. And then you've got a guy then who's like doused in, in, in the, you know, in the the sort of the accelerant and stuff like that. And then they, they yeah. set him on fire. Then you're like, oh fuck, this is incredible. Like this is so, this is going to be so visceral and so, so, so wild. And so then, um last one on the previous thing, when we got uh, through the sequence on the rooftop um with the with the sort of the the run in, the sort of the contra run as the guy's being shot and the tiles are popping, and then it's yeah, yeah. around and then the other guy drops, and we follow him through the roof um that was one of those ones where we knew how we were going to do it in the previous and then when it came to the shoot itself and it was like I hope this works <laughs> so you know because uh, you just don't know you, you, you wouldn't know until you actually do it and we just we stuck to our guns we stuck to the same method we stuck to exactly how we were going to do it and um, and thankfully those two shots just they, they cut together so well and the the movement of it was, was really good so yeah we got we got very very fortunate with that then there's
0: one bit I wanted to buy specifically and that is Ulrich's fate and uh Is there anything to be read into the fact you mentioned earlier on he's wearing a red jacket does that mean is that like a little Star Trek thing like he's a red shirt so he ain't coming
1: back is that <laughs> is there a layer there shamedly I'm not a massive Trek fan if I'm honest about it um, Chris Webb is <laughs> no, no shame he in he doesn't that. stop he doesn't stop talking about Star Trek every time we talk about we, we, we do the film we do like film club chats where we, we, we set each other two films to watch each week and then me and Jude and and and, and Chris and now Xavier would kind of jump on a Zoom thing and just chat about film and chat about chat about what we watch Watched. And every time we do it, Chris will always find a way to mention Star Trek. So I it wasn't a, it wasn't a purposeful thing. I was just looking for something that would stand out and be quite bright, because we knew we were gonna show him on the top of a mountainside and probably be bleak weather. So I was like, yeah, red jacket. <laughs> for a long time he was red jacket rambler, he wasn't even Ulrich. Um and then I thought we probably better give him a name, I think. Um but yeah, yeah. that that sequence, interestingly, um you know, that explosion we shot over the course of two 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 versions of it. I think we did two two to three versions of it of that explosion. So we did the initial one where we have our stunt doubles jump in with a, a, a gas explosion so that they get sort of like, you know, you know, the the fire chases them in the in the in the shots. And we did we had multiple cameras set up for all of that. And we had like um blowers to explode the rubble around the two guys who were like crouched down by the perimeter wall and everything else. Um and then um and then we did uh, uh another version then where um it was the the the, the it was Leif and, and Tova when they get blown back by the sort of the the big wave of the the explosion, the massive gigantic explosion, where obviously mm. when you do a big explosion like that, then you got no one anywhere near that shit because it's just it's too, <laughs> too too big, you know? So everyone has to be at their safe distances and everything else and blah 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 blah. And um and weirdly, when they did the really big, big, massive explosion, I I, I didn't get to see it happen because um, we um we we were so up against it on the shoot. We were shooting main unit on the um the in the loft, so we were doing stuff with Mal um, as he was going through okay. his craziness. We had a second unit down there and this was just to do the big big bang like when we did the stuff of the bodies vaporizing we were there that was our main unit but when we just did the big bang we had to send that out to a second unit um i, th- I can't remember i think i can't remember if jude was down there cause i think jude was up with me in the loft anyway because we were doing the action there but paul, paul andrew was one of our sort of um, second camera operators was shooting that sequence for us matt was with me in the loft. And then we even had a third unit that would down on the jetty just grabbing some extra insert shots like the the hand exploding because um, we needed that then. And so for like about oh, three or four days in a row, it was just this insanity of, you know, because the second unit were also shooting um, the mercenaries approaching the house to put the C4 on the door and all that stuff. And so on, on three days in a row, it was like I'd have my main unit monitor, then I'd have two other monitors go on a tripod and so I'd be like setting up this shot watching playback on something that like the second unit we were doing watching playback on something the third unit were doing giving notes back to them oh I'll do that again this is what I want the movement to be da, 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 da. and then go back to the main unit and my brain just kind of like fragmented after like 3 or 4 days of that because it's like <laughs> it's it's like running three different shoots at the same time but you know cause it, it's not just that but it's also then taking that footage and loading into the edit and cutting it on set so i was just like by the end of that week i was like i think i think when i got home every night it was just kind of like hello family good night <laughs> 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 but um but yeah so anyway the big explosion <laughs> We're all, we're all shooting the thing. We had a little bit of downtime um, on, on our set because we were waiting for a setup to be ready. And then all of a sudden, like you just hear all the walkie-talkies like, okay, we're good to go. And then boom, this huge explosion, right? And um, I'm sat inside one of the rooms in the loft and I was like, oh, I guess we've just missed the explosion. And then all of a sudden you just get all of this ash because we, 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 um, we built the main house on the main set area but then right next to it was a little incline like a bank. And on the top of that bank, we built uh, a secondary set for the loft so that we wouldn't have to lug our equipment up to the third floor. So we just had a loft set built there. And then we also built, um, we built uh, a section of the rooftop as well so that we could just very easily shoot up against the sky uh, the mercenaries putting the C4 inside the tiles, ripping up the tiles of that. So we never actually took them up on top of the main roof other than one wide shot where they were all on wires because it would just be a, a, a nightmare in terms of time. So we're sat in that loft set, a uh, big boom explosion goes off. <laughs> I look up and through right. the hole in the roof, because we'd already done our holes in the roof bit at that point, um, I look up and all this ash from that big explosion starts like flittering in into our set and, and dropping down. So that was the extent of what I got to see with the naked eye of that big final explosion. So yeah. <laughs> sucks when it happens, doesn't it? it, sucks it just, when you're all, yeah, yeah,
0: massive suns and they just pass you by, but you know,
1: that vaporizing gag as well <laughs> by the way. Um that was that was a weird thing to see being shot as well because Alex Gunn as well had like this sort of like um this body that we decked out and all of the equipment, all the, all, all the sort of the equipment and all the sort of clothing and the wardrobe. And, and it was just kind of like propped up on a tripod, um, against the green screen filled with like, you know, explosives and, you know, and, and blood bags and everything else. And then we just shot it at like 120 frames per second. Just this, this thing of this body just popping and vaporizing <laughs> bit by bit, um, so that we could use that as part of the elements that went into that, that body disintegration. Then obviously, um, Dupe, the guys at Dupe then for the VFX went off and then did a whole lot more, uh, to kind of like, you know, to make that timing of those explosions really work in a, in a rhythmic way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's fairly so emphatic. Even a body vaporizes. This musical, you know. <laughs> yeah, precisely. But it's fairly emphatic. It's
0: like, oh, this is what happens when a you know, massive explosion, when loads of grenades go off, and
1: someone's standing right next to it. This is what happens. Yeah, 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 exactly. So no, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was wild. The experience was wild shooting it. Um, you know, uh, we threw everything at it. We, we really did. I, I, I got to give huge amount of credit to the, the cast and the crew because. We had no right doing a sequence this big uh, on our first TV show. So um, yeah, it was it, it felt it felt really good to kind of come out at the end of it and know that we had we had done all of our sequence, barring one. I think we we only cut maybe two ideas out that we just didn't have the time in order to kind of to do. But in, in the end, I'm glad we didn't do them because I think it would have changed the tone of the the, of the thing a little bit too much. Can you say what they were? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, why not? Um, (laughs) so we had a thing where when Evie sends him down the trapdoor and she says, I'll keep him back as long as I can. Um, and then she doesn't. <laughs> um. <laughs> they, they, they go around the top
0: anyway. They go over the top. They don't. They don't yeah, follow yeah. them down the bunker.
1: It's, it's, exactly. It's like, yo, I'll keep him back as long as I can, about twenty seconds. <laughs> um, but you know, <laughs> but um, she, she, she. We had this thing where she was going to slam on the tram, trap door and make a run for uh, her airing cupboard. And that she'd get shot in the process and they'd be like tossing in like phosphorus grenades and she'd be on half on fire going into this airing cupboard. And the idea would be like, is this steel door would shut behind her a little bit like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre steel door. Oh, okay. You yeah, know? Yeah, and then, yeah. um, and then when the, when the mercs can't come in, then, um, basically she's in that airing cupboard thing and she pulls back the door and all the smoke is so uh, dissipating. You see this, like this twirl of smoke disappear and you hear the, the wind up of like, it was going to be like a little mini rail gun type thing. And she was just going to go fucking crazy and just like take out some of the mercs and da, 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 da. Leif and Tova would sort of separate off. But then um, she'd end up cr- like running out of bullets and have to crawl through the crawl space of the, the the house. And then they would sort of straight fire from left and right and catch her in the middle of, of, of the wall. So she'd die in the crawl space of the house. Oh man. Which would have been fun and cool, but it would have taken two more days to film, maybe yeah. three. And so then, and, and also to be honest, it would have been, I, I, I felt like when we were there and we were discussing it and talking with Jude and, and Jude agreed as well, we both kind of looked at it and we were like, the explosion's where our scene needs to end. Like that, like that's where that siege needs to end. It's the explosion. It's this the C4 blow up. And we know we've got a bit later on at the jetty, but right now it's really about the drama of it. And really it needs to be about Tova just storming in and just boom, blitzing her because Tova's lost her, ability to function as a professional right now because she's dealing with this immediate grief and i think once we kind of decided that once we sort of figured that out um a, a it helped us cut two three days worth out of a shoot um that we just didn't have anyway uh but b it just felt like it closed the scene better and so you know we shot previous for it and stuff that this happens quite a lot you know you shoot stuff and you have like a ton of ideas but then you know, some things they either feel wrong when you're when you're getting to that point of wanting to shoot them, so you retroactively fix them. Mm. Or 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 literally, you know, the 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 you know the, the the powers that be in terms of like the time that you have will dictate you to make those those concessions or changes. Yeah, of course. Um sometimes they 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 work out for the best. And I think in this case it worked out much, much, much better than it would have mm. if we'd had all the other three days that we wanted for it. Absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah and, and that scene would have shown that they could, you know, they could, meet out damage to the to the mercenaries as well. But the explosion does that also, and you know, Mal takes out a couple of couple of guys a, as well uh, because they're so, you know, they're so overwhelming in terms of their force and their skill set and you know everything they have with them. Um, you know, I think it's important to show that you know they, they could still be hurt. Uh, you know, the mercenaries could still be hurt, um, which is which is cool. Um, but you know, listen, I've got to let you go, but. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's great to see people respond to it, you know, cuz you know, it's it's pretty intense and it's it's pretty visceral as well, but for people to kind of, you know, again like we 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 had a feeling that we were making something pretty special with it, but to see it get that kind of reaction has been remarkable, you know. Um so yeah, it's 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 an odd one, you know. It's like um you when you create these things you kind of it, it's different from doing it for cinema because in the cinema i get to go to a festival and i get to hear an audience react to stuff uh and, and here it's more like um it, it's that horrible thing of oh i'm at home and especially in current climate where we are right now and then and then i get to stalk Internet and Twitter, you know, to find out what people think about certain elements of the show, you know. So it's, um, it's real, it's a real fascinating process, but uh, yeah, it's very, very heartwarming to see people kind of respond to it in that way. Uh, Gareth, I'm gonna let you go. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. Pleasure again. Cheers. Thank you.
0: And that was Gareth Evans talking to me about episode five, and that is it for this latest. Gangs of London spoiler special episode. The plan from now on is to do pretty much one a week. So the next spoiler special ep, all being well, will cover episodes six to eight. We did episodes one to four as a group, and we're going to do episodes six to eight as a group as well, with directors Xavier Chance and Corin Hardy. And that should hopefully be up next week. After that will come a deep dive with Carn Hardy into the final episode of the first season and a special episode in which Team Empire chews the fat over the first season. What did they get right? What did it get wrong? Where can it go in the just confirmed season two? So keep em peeled for those. In the meantime, of course, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening to all the spoiler special podcasts and thank you for subscribing to our new channel. Thank you for continuing to show us your support During these difficult times, it is much appreciated. Right, that is enough for me. I am off to reinforce the shutters around my flat. Because you know what? You never know. You never know when a Danish hit team is lurking just outside the door. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye bye.